Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through the things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, have, have you ever wanted, uh, been in a position where you wanted something more for someone than they wanted for themselves? I think this is a, I think it's a common uh, position for parents to be in. I think particularly so for high-achieving parents. We look at our children and we, we know that they possess what it takes to achieve, uh, to set goals, achieve them simply to get along with their siblings, to get along with other people in society and behave. We know they possess it, but so many times they choose not to possess it. They choose not to use it. They don't put it into action. So there's this frustration thing. It, and there's a, an, another sense to this passage that have you ever been in a position where you have given of yourself in love and had that love rejected? Um, and I mean in like a really sacrificial way. Um, you know, sometimes we have good intentions about all kinds of things. People didn't pick up on it, and, and maybe we're hurt. I, I don't mean on this. I don't mean a superficial way, but in a significant way, where we have given of ourselves in love, but that love was rejected. This is kind of what's going on here in this passage. It, now, this passage sounds harsh because it's talking about judgment. This is a continuation from where we've been. Uh, Last week, uh, where the, the, uh, the gospel has turned and it's talking about one's personal responsibility to receive and respond to the invitation to come into the kingdom. So this is a continuation of that. And, uh, and it sounds harsh, but I think it's helpful for us to understand that this begins with love. So he's, he's to the point where, yes, this sounds harsh, but he is pursuing them with his obstinate love. It's only because he loves them that he's coming and bringing the kingdom and establishing it, and he's going and he's marching toward Jerusalem. So, um, responding to his love is what we're going to look at. It, because of his obstinate love for his people, there is nothing that will deter him from going to Jerusalem to die on the cross to redeem those who are his from the enemy's grip. Now, the first thing that we see with him is um, he's tempted to distraction. So in, in uh, verse 31, it says, um, it says, At that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. So finally, it seems, wow, the Pharisees are really on Jesus' side. Uh, they seem to be at odds with one another all throughout, and it, here it appears that they're on his side. But Jesus wasn't, uh, he wasn't fooled. It wasn't long ago that he was preaching, and he was calling them out, and then they turned on him, and they were going to set about trying to catch him. And then in, back in chapter 12, uh, verse 1, he told, him to be, he told his disciples to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So Jesus was not fooled by this fake concern of the Pharisees. 
he, he knew that they weren't concerned for his well-being. They were simply carrying a message from Herod. And Herod had apparently suffered uh, political damage at the beheading of John, John the Baptist. And so it wasn't as if he could just get rid of this other pesky prophet by killing him. His, his, he, 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 he wouldn't stand. That wouldn't work for him. So he gives a message to the Pharisees. The Pharisees deliver it to Jesus. And if we could have Jesus be in fear of his life, and if Herod wants to kill you, this should put the fear for your life in you. So if he were to respond to that and listen to the fear, perhaps he would turn and go south to Judea and maybe Herod could be rid of him and he wouldn't be here stirring things up. So it's, e- it's easy here to see that Jesus' enemies, that would be, you know, really it's the devil, then Herod, you know, or agents, and then the Pharisees, being more agents, wanted to distract him from his course of action. But what about us? Now, and and this, is, this is firmly about Jesus, but I was thinking for us, what about us? Do we, what do we, uh, what, how do we recognize when the enemy is try, trying to distract us from following Jesus? Jesus is following a path that was set before him in uh, eternity past from the triune God in a plan of redemption to save a people to himself. So there's so now we are members of this plan as we come on board, as we are invited into the kingdom, as we respond. But how often are we distracted from following? In picking up from uh, last week's lesson, how often are we distracted from striving to make it through the narrow door? What is it that uh, we ultimately trust? So if, if, if you could relate to just being distracted at some point, what is it you're trusting when you're distracted? And are you, are you trusting your feelings and emotions and your fears? Because if Jesus were only trusting his feelings and emotions and his fears, then perhaps Herod's plan would have worked. But he pursued through. And it's easy for us to say, well, of course, he was Jesus after all. Because we have this Superman kind of mentality that, okay, you're telling me Jesus is God in the flesh, therefore, boom. Uh, he ought to be able to do these things. He should have been able to go through Well, there, there's this understanding of God being, or Jesus being fully God, fully man. And so there are real human emotions that he had to contend with. And he did, and he went through. So for us, if we use him as an example, um, and for our own walk, and we look to Jesus and say, what did he do? Well, he persevered in times of difficulty. He persevered in times of fear. So what about us? Do we respond to our fears, or do we trust um, in God's word? Do we trust in what we can see, or do we trust in God's word? Do we have more confidence in God's word being right than what we can discern from our own world through our own eyes? Because we are easily distracted by most anything, it seems to me, and our attention spans are very short. So that's, that's part of the reason why we have to strive to get through the narrow door. It, it, and we talked about how we had to be intentional about that because it's not going to happen on a natural basis. 
But we see that Jesus was not going to be distracted. So the next thing we're going to see is his unswerving, and uh, he, he was unswerving in his plan. So verse 32 says, And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So Jesus boldly answers Herod and the Pharisees. Um, he wants to make clear that he is not going to bow down to this threat against him. And uh, he's, he's like, I'm going to go about my mission, and I'm headed toward Jerusalem, and I am going to die on the cross to redeem all who would trust in me by faith. So this, this, is, this is essentially his response, which seems like an, a strange response when somebody says, you should flee for your life because somebody wants to kill you. He's like, I'm headed toward Jerusalem. He, um, this is that obstinate love. So this, this we, we relate to stubbornness, uh, and I've been called that um, all my life, and that's usually in a negative sense. But stubbornness can be good. And so an obstinate could be stubborn love. So this stubborn love God has for his people is going to pursue his people. He's going to pursue his plan, and he's not going to be distracted. Um, he, this thing where he calls him this, this fox, um, this, this is a slam. This is, not, this is not something nice. It's not a neat nickname. Uh, I have a, a cousin, and uh, he's, he must be, whatever, 61 years old. And all of his life, people have referred to him as the Red Fox because he has red hair. And from high school days forward, he's been the Red Fox. Okay, there's nothing derogatory. He, he has red hair. That's just a descriptor, and he likes the nickname, I guess. He's never corrected anybody. This is not a cool nickname for Herod. This is a slam. It's a slap in the face. And it's, it's, a, uh, it's talking about somebody who's sly, somebody who is uh, cunning, who, who, who wants to use other people for their means. Um, that's, the, that's what this is saying. But it's, but it's also kind of saying that he is totally insignificant. So it's, this, is a, this is a harsh put down. Now, it is the only time in Scripture that Jesus seems to draw out one person, but this, this clearly shows that Jesus didn't like Herod and that he knew his, who his enemy was. And I, and I think that's very important for us to understand who our enemy is um, and be sure we're fighting against the right enemy. Sometimes we're in the midst of uh, quarrels and arguments, um, which the you know, book of James says comes from within. We can be in quarrels and arguments with people who are on our side, uh, and we have more in common than we have that separate us, and we need, to, we, we need to realize who the enemy is. And it could be the enemy is the one who's trying to drive a wedge between those of us on the same team. So we've got to be clear who the enemy is. But Jesus' response where he says, hey, I'm not going to be distracted at all. Behold, I cast out demons and, and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. He's going to continue ushering in the kingdom in this ordinary way that he's been doing ministry. As, as he's been doing it, he's going to continue to do it. He's going to continue to heal. He's going to continue to cast out demons. So what is, what, 
what is my expectation for tomorrow? It looks a lot like what it did yesterday. I want to continue on the same course. Um, we, there's, there's a lot of this, we're attracted to extraordinary people, uh, heroes, uh, radical people in our own Christian circles. We want to be attracted to, uh, or we are attracted to, people who perform their uh, walks of faith in a radical manner. But there's something to be said just for ordinary, uh, the ordinary business of walking with Jesus. And maybe it doesn't look flashy. Maybe there's not a grand testimony. Sometimes there's jealousy over testimony. Somebody who never realized they were like in desert times, that they like grew up knowing the faith, and they, they don't even remember like that decision time. And then they hear people's testimonies, and there's a bit of a jealousy thing going on. Now, this, this is the beautiful story. This is what we're striving for. This is what we want. We want the children who are born to our church people to be described that way. No, I didn't have a radical testimony. It was a normal thing. I just went to church. I grew to know and love Jesus, and I've loved him with all my heart from day one. That's, I think, a beautiful story. There's something in the ordinary perseverance day to day it's, it, it's, not, it's not sexy as we see it. It's not exciting. It's not flashy. Of course, whatever. Jesus' ordinary ministry was not ordinary by any of our standards. He was performing miracles every, every time he turned around. He, he says, I'm going, still going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to do the same thing. But this is that refusal to bend and refusal to be sidetracked because he was going to persevere. And he was going to persevere because of this... Um, love that he has for his people, his love that he has for his father. The completion, this talks about that on the third day, um, completion of his ministry was going to happen on the third day. That's a a theme that's going to be significant in the rest of Luke, um, but there's also uh, this realization that, uh, that he's headed toward the cross on the third day, he's going to raise again, be raised again. So um, he knows what he's about, and he's not going to be pulled away. He's not falling for this fake concern from the Pharisees. Um, he, he's going to continue to do what, what he's been doing. And then, he's, then he, he, he puts this jab in with this um, going to Jerusalem, where I'm going to go to Jerusalem where you all have killed every prophet there was. Every prophet that has come to you, you've killed these prophets. It's not going to be any different with me. Now, part of this is fulfilling prophecy, which has said this, but then there's, there's part, though, that's this in your face with truth. He didn't, he didn't shy away by telling them um, so, something different than the truth. This is where prophets essentially come to die. This is, what, this is what I'm, what's going to happen to me. So if, if Herod's after me, if I'm going to die, I need to get to Jerusalem. So, um, the interesting thing about this is the, uh, in that fully man, fully God thing that he's got going on, which I think many times I fail to recognize and empathize with what he may have been going through. So there's this darkness looming with every step he takes toward Jerusalem. It's always out there. Yet he's pouring himself out in ministry to others, yet he knows this darkness is waiting for him. And as he marches closer and closer to Jerusalem, and these events kind of pick up, the reality that his time is nearing the end is always before him. And yet, he pours himself out in love for others. Kent Hughes says, uh, 
He was like an all-knowing Isaac who carried the wood of sacrifice and the knife on his back as he dutifully climbed the mountain knowing where and who was the offering. I thought a great analogy to the all-knowing Isaac. Uh, you, you're like, okay, this, this, uh, this is what his walk must have been like, where he's, he's struggling. He's, he's got plenty of struggles. And then he has this before him. And, there, and, and you, know, you know in the garden he's sweating blood. So there's this trepidation about um, it, there's an obstinate love, there's a persistence, there's a perseverance, but there's also a battle within about how can I go through this. And the closer he gets, um, the more he faces with that. But his de- determination is amazing. And that determination is because of his great love for us. It's his, it's his love that drove, drove him to take the next step. He served, um, he served these people, this darkness was ahead, and yet he moved forward. It's a contrast to this description of Jesus, understanding how Jesus was like in control, his response to the Pharisees, his response to Herod, I'm in control. My ministry will go forward. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Compared to, the contrast is a lot of times how we hear Jesus uh, taught. Uh, how, people teaching about Jesus. People teaching the gospel. There's this concept that Jesus is just so full of love and mercy that he offers it and then he hopes God in his great wisdom is just hoping people would come to know his salvation. But no, I think this is contrasting that. I think that what we're seeing here is one who is in control, one who is mighty to save, one who is setting the pace. He's not, he's, he's not falling in behind Herod's uh, attempts to thwart him. He's the one in charge. The, uh, it's in the, and, and, it's, and it's in the midst of this chaos that Hebrews talks about how he's going to bring many sons to glory. There's an intentionality behind him. In John 10, verse 17 and 18, it says, this is Jesus talking. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And I I think that's a beautiful and comforting passage. Because we do not have a weak and impotent God who is hanging on a cross saying, would somebody please come love me? No, he's, he, he's saying, I'm all in charge. I'm in control. This is his response to Herod. This is his response to the Pharisees. And so then lastly, we see that he's weeping. He's weeping for the lost. It says, 34. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would have I gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, so this image, I don't have an illustration for you because Jesus already gave it. The illustration here, this image, is this caring, nurturing care of a mother bird who's going to care for her chicks. And there's a protection. You know, you who are not mothers, you had a mother. You know, 
you've seen, it, your mother may not have been like this, but mothers generally, and you've seen it in others, there's a thing where mothers are going to protect their children. They're going, they're going to stand up for them. They're going to, they're going, they set rules because they care about their kids and they want them to survive. They love them. They want them to survive. But then they want them to flourish. This is what, this is what a nurturing parent does. So this is the picture. She's guarding them under her wings from the elements that are out to slay them. And she's going to protect them. This is what God does for us. Psalm, there, there are all kinds of references of being under the shelter of God's wings. Uh, two, Psalm, uh, Psalm 57 verse 1 says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass. Psalm 91.4 says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. There's this recognition that God spreads out his wings to protect his people. Um. This is this is the this is capturing that heart for for God. When you when you recognize what this mother bird is doing, this mother uh, eagle or whatever this bird is, and depending upon what's referenced is is what bird it is. But the bird is is gathering the 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 babe chicks under the shelter. The the mother knows there is danger. Um, I, I, was, I, I helped Melanie at, yesterday at Vienna pull some weeds in a... We didn't, we didn't make a dent in this thing, in this uh, playground area that's mulched in and had, had grass in it. We, as we finished, we were talking. This is, this is in Vienna. This is Vienna Elementary. It's, it's surrounded by houses. There are just houses everywhere. Um, and as we're sitting there talking, here comes a deer, a, 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 a doe, and two fawn. And, and there's a pretty good-sized patch of grass between the school's yard and the neighbor's yard. And the, the mother was coming along, but then got too far ahead from the baby deer because they... I, I, I hope she found the other one. I don't, it, while we're talking, one just kind of left. I don't know where it went. Um, but it was interesting to see her, though, she, though she, was, she was eating her own grass and all that stuff, and they were way over here. But she got, there, there was an un, uncomfortable distance, evidently, and she turned and came back. She, she was not uncomfortable because we were there or there was machinery around or people and talking, but, uh, but she was concerned for her, for her uh, babes, and so she went back near them. Th- this, is, this, is, this is what we do. This is, this is, we want to run to the shelter of God's wings for protection. It's a, it's a, it's a wild and crazy world out there, and there are the, the, uh, the enemy is slinging arrows at us from every direction. But you find your safety in the shelter of God's wings. And I, and I, and I do want to say, too, that, so this shelter is a good thing. There's also this recognition that uh, in, our, in our world, and just kind of a personal, uh, personal practical application point, is what we're talking about of shelter is that fighting the evil one. We're not looking to lead a sheltered life. This is a complaint that uh, like folks have of Christians. And we can be easily drawn into this where we have for good intentions surrounded ourselves like only with church people. So the people who we know and who we hang out with are all good Christians. 
And then we kind of have an insular thing. We, we've protected ourselves from outside influence. And it, if you find yourself in that situation, this is not the kind of shelter. You're not supposed to have a sheltered life. We're supposed to be salt and light to the earth. So how do we intentionally spend time with people who are not churched? How do we intentionally spend time with people who don't know Jesus so that we can be the salt and light in their lives, so that God can use us to, to, to get to know people, to build relationships, to ultimately share him? Um, there's, I think this, this issue of whether one's willing it, to come into the shelter of God's wings, it, that's that king of your heart kind of issue. It, am, am I willing uh, to humble myself and submit to him and trust him for protection? Or do I think I'm going to manage on my own very well? I don't need that help. I know better. So I... I and, and perhaps I've reduced that too much, but I think ultimately we get to down to just about that. And I think that we need to um, run to him in every instance of life for his shelter, for his protection, for his nurture, for his encouragement, so that we can feel his care, his, his responding to our needs as a caring mother would, for her babe chicks even. Um, at some point... Every knee is going to bow to Jesus. The question is going to be whether they're going to be bowing because of judgment or they're going to be bowing because of a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, you know, that is their brother. It's, uh, that's the question. So remember the Father's extravagant love for you. He pursued you. And he pursued this plan of redemption, would not let anything deter him from it. And he is the one who is making it happen. He's done it all. This is the beauty of this. He has done it all. So for for us, what's left is to simply trust in him. We believe, trust in him, and run to the shelter of his wings. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.